Great stuff. There are certain phrases that will conjure up either fear or excitement, depending solely on our perspective. Let me give you some examples. Dad, I got my school report today. Your response, Dad, is entirely dependent on your perspective of Junior's academic prowess and academic dedication. Hey, the boss wants to see you. Fear, if you've been bludging, or excitement, if you think, well, it's about time he noticed my great work and all the blooming brilliant ideas and the contribution I've been making. No doubt there's a promotion waiting for me on the table when I get there. Fear or excitement, depending solely on your perspective. Now, wives, listen to me very carefully, Carleen and Evie, very carefully. Because, Scotty, you will be thanking me, because I'm going to tell you something that is critical to the health and longevity of your marriage. There is a phrase that you can use that has the ability to kill a man in his tracks, depending not just on his perspective, but also on your choice of words. The phrase can be this, honey, I need to talk to you about something. No phrase has ever struck fear into the heart of a husband like that phrase right there. Honey, I need to talk to you about something. Now, here's a little coaching opportunity. Because the thing is, as husbands, most of the time, that phrase strikes fear into us. Because we're terrified that we've done something wrong. We've misstepped. The problem is that phrase will drive a wedge between us, husband and wife. And yet you might not have had that intention. If your intention is to steamroll us, then that's cool. Honey, I need to talk to you about something. But if your intention is to discuss your uh, thoughts of a holiday in the Bahamas, you're, you're uh, wanting to take a moment to pour a glass of red wine and, and, and fetch your husband's slippers and say, I really appreciate the way you mow the lawn today. If that's your intention, do not, do not lead with the phrase, honey, I need to talk to you about something. Little bit of a tip. I have the bruises to show that this is not the best choice if your intention is pure. Don't use the word to. Use the word with. You men are a bunch of pussies because you're sitting there and you know that what I'm saying is going to help you. And you're like, he's not talking to you, honey. I love the, I love the way you address issues in our marriage. Wimps. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that. That's just, gee, right. I'm going to have to put all the men in time out. That was the weakest. I'm give, Oh, man. Okay. I'm on your side, uh, husbands and, and wives. Wanna, um, we launched this series, How to Be Brave, three weeks ago. And uh, we've actually just been preaching out of uh, just a few um, sentences, really, written by a guy named Paul. Paul was one of the heavyweights, one of the pioneers of the early church. And he actually, he wrote letters. 
we call them books, the book of Romans, the book of uh, Corinthians. Stupid. They're not books. They were letters. When you call them books, they just seem like ideas on a page somewhere. Let me, let me just encourage you. It may sound a bit like semantics, but it's much more powerful than that. These were letters. These were love letters. These were letters written by a guy named Paul to a group of people in a local church area from his heart to them. He saw that they wanted to follow Jesus. He saw that they wanted to experience the victory that Jesus had brung. But, 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 but he saw that, that he needed often to write them some instruction because he wasn't physically with them. These are love letters. And when you read them with the, with the perspective that they're love letters and they're letters from a person to a people, and you put yourself in that situation of being the people, it's a game changer. These are no longer just dry words on a page. It's not just a history book. It's a love letter. And so Paul, one of the groups of people he wrote to is a church in a place called Philippi. Paul wrote it from prison, not exactly in his happy place, but he he wrote it uh, ironically to a group of Christians who themselves are being persecuted, facing some opposition. And so he wrote from prison to encourage them. To, to give them some, some, some fresh perspective on, on, on their situation. And uh, we've just been drilling down into a few short verses. And I actually want to read the exact same verses as we read last week. Now, if you're here for the first time, we have a podcast. You can go back and listen um, to the podcast last week and the week before for How to Be Brave. If you're visiting or if you've been away for a couple of weeks, catch up. Because we're trying to take you on a journey. This idea that God calls us to be brave. And many of us, many of you are facing situations where you need a new level of courage. You need a new level of bravery because God's calling you to a new level of opportunity. Maybe you're facing a new level of opposition. In all of those things, they'll, they'll take a new level of courage, a new level of bravery. And uh, we want to make sure that we find out what God says about that. So here's Paul writing from prison to a group of people, a love letter. And he says this, finally, brethren, we, we don't say brethren, we just say peeps. Finally, peeps. Paul didn't say peeps. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's any pra- anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Or a version we read last week said, think about these things. And the big takeaway last week is that many of us don't stop to think about what we think about. And we kind of go... Uh, with the flow, which is fine if your thoughts are flowing in a godly direction, but what if they're not? Don't go with the flow, change the, the course of the flow. But we need to often think about what we think about in order to course correct. So Paul's telling them to, to course correct and think about these things. And he just gave a list. And then he said, these things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. It's not just enough to think about what Paul gives instruction. The blessings, in, not just in the thinking, the blessings in the doing. Did you know that if you actually apply what God teaches, you get the results that God determines? But if you don't apply it, you never get the results. It's fascinating. All right. And then the God of peace will be with you. There's two words in that little uh, couple of sentences that Paul wrote. Two words that I want to drill into today. The words good report. And I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't normally give the game away. This is the big idea today that I want to teach around. The report you believe is more important than the news you receive. 
I know it's good. Just a second. All right. I deserve that. Some of you need to write that down or take a snapshot, whatever it is. But here's the truth. The report you believe is more important than the news you received. Let me, let me, let's go back to a story in history about the, the chosen people of God at the time, the Israelites. A group of people called the Israelites, they'd been living in slavery, in captivity in Egypt. They were, they were slaves, they were captives to Pharaoh. God had promised them that, that, that at a point in history, he would actually cause them to be able to, to break free from a life of slavery, which is great, Right? Any of us who've ever been slaves to something, slaves to sin, slaves to debt, slaves to poor relationship choices, to, to be able to be, to, to be set free from them is fantastic. But it's only half of the story. The other half of the story is where are you going to live next? Once God's led you out of slavery, where's he going to lead us next? Well, the beautiful thing is God had promised the Israelites that he would take them to a land. It's called the promised land because it's a land that God had promised. flipping on fire today. So they were in the, they're in the in-between phase. They'd left Egypt. God had freed them from, from Egypt, freed them from slavery, but they hadn't yet entered the promised land. They were in the middle. And some of you might be finding yourselves in the middle of situations right now where, where God's delivered you. God's set you free. God's taken you out of some stuff, some health issues, some relationship issues, some, some career issues, but you haven't yet experience the fullness of God's promise. You're in this in-between phase. What are, what are we to do? Well, there's great, great instruction from this story. Now, Moses was the leader of the people at that time, okay? Millions of people. Moses was the leader. And so they're in this in-between phase, this kind of living between the trapezes. When Moses sent them off to scout out Canaan, he, he, Moses got 12 guys, 12 dudes, right? Uh, it's uh, written just before verse 17 where I'm picking the story up. Got 12 guys and sent them off as spies to go sneak into the promised land and check it out and come back and report on what they, they saw. So he said to them, go up to the Negev and then into the hill country. Look the land over, see what it's like. Assess the people. Are they strong or weak? Are there few or many? Observe the land. Is it pleasant or harsh? Describe the towns where they live. Are they open camps or fortified with walls? And the soil, is it fertile or barren? Are there forests? And try to bring back a sample of the produce that grows there. This is the season for the first ripe grapes. And I do love me some grapes. He didn't say that. It's implied. Now, we do need to size up our situation. Okay. There's a, there's a faith message that says that, that the facts are irrelevant, that there's no need to size up our situation. If God's on our side, we can do absolutely anything. It's simply not true. I cannot play tennis like Roger Federer, no matter how much I pray about it. If you decide you're going to open up a cafe, you need more than just a love for coffee. Ah, I do love me morning cappuccino. Yep, love me morning cappuccino so much. Don't know a single thing about running a small business, but I'm going to open a cafe. I'm going to be brave. No, you're going to be broke. You need to size up your situation. It's important. But it's not the whole 
game plan. You need to size up your situation and we need to size up God in our situation. What does the size of the situation look like compared to the size of our God? That's the whole story. We're taught to magnify God in worship, right? Have you ever heard that phrase, magnify God in worship? It's a very strange phrase. We're weirdos, weirdos. Magnify God in worship. You know, it doesn't mean that we make God bigger because here's the thing. He's already pretty big. You don't need to get any bigger. In fact, when you magnify something, you don't make the object bigger. What you do when you magnify something is you get greater clarity on what's actually contained in the object that you're studying. You get a perspective that you wouldn't have before. It's like, oh, wow. We're called to magnify God in worship. You know, one of the reasons we start our live experience with, with worship, with music, it's not so you can sneak in under the cover of raised arms when you're late. It's not a warm-up. It's not a karaoke competition. It's, 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 not, it's not so that I can start preaching at 10.30 to make sure, you know, so we just kind of buffer the first half an hour so that we've got a full auditorium. It's none of those things. It's to magnify God in worship. But, but if he doesn't need to be made any bigger, what does that look like? Well, here's the thing. It looks like this. No matter what happened in your week, no matter what happened in your morning, no matter what is happening in your life, when you enter into a place where God is being worshipped, you get, have the opportunity to, 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 to push pause on your circumstances and focus solely on Him to magnify Him. And yet, it doesn't mean that the circumstances are going to be any different when you leave here at 11.59. That's not when I'm finishing preaching. Just relax, okay? It's not, it's not necessary. You, your, your situation may look exactly the same when you get out there, but hopefully your perspective of the size of God in your situation has changed when you go back and face your situation. That's why we magnify God. Oh, I never thought about that before. Man, I was, I put my, yeah, oh, yeah, man, wow, come on. It's all going to make sense real soon. I have to, handcuff myself to the front row. I know these chairs are portable. I could probably lift one. I have to, when we were singing a song this morning, the new song, covered, covered, covered by your grace. That word grace, look, I haven't got time to, to, to explain too much. I will have a, have a stab at it at the end of my message. But here's the thing. Next year, we're going to be teaching a series called Too Good to Be True. It's all about the grace of God. Grace meaning that, that, that God, we did things that he didn't like. We did things that separated us from him and he bridged the gap. He moved first. He sent his son, Jesus. And you know what? All we have to do is turn around and say, God, forgive me. Bam, done. What well, sounds too good to be true? Exactly. It does sound too good to be true, but that's what's so great about it because it's true. So I had to handcuff myself to the seat. Because no matter what your situation, and yeah, size it up, but the size of God in your situation is even more important than the size of your situation. So with that, they were on their way, the 12 spies. They scouted out the land in Egypt. When they arrived at the Eskol Valley, they cut off a branch with a single 
cluster of grapes. It took two men to carry it. <laughs> How good's that? Totally organic. Slung on a pole. They also picked some pomegranates and figs, and they named that place Escol Valley, Grape Cluster Valley, because of the huge cluster of grapes they'd cut down there. After 40 days of scouting out the land, that's a pretty good uh, representation of sizing up your situation. 40 days of scouting out the land, they returned home. They presented themselves before Moses and Aaron and the whole, uh, all the peeps in Israel. And this is what they said. Now, now just to give a little, little bit of a spoiler, this is what 10 of them said. There's 12 scouts, 12 spies. This is what 10 of them said. We went to the land to which you sent us, and oh, it does flow with milk and honey. How'd you like them grapes? Just look at this fruit. Now, the grapes represent the reality, but what they said next represented their perspective. The only thing is that the people who live there are fierce. Now, these are guys who actually survive for 40 days without getting killed, were able to steal some fruit, right? Like, it's like, it's great, this is great. We'll go back and get some more if you want. But it's not, that's, that, that, that was the reality, but it wasn't their perspective. Their perspective was this. And the cities were huge and well fortified. And worse yet, we saw the descendants of the giant Anak, Amalekites are spread out in the Negev, Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites hold the hill country. And the worst of all, the fiercest of all, the cellulites. Aris. Oh, I haven't used that for years. I love that. The Canaanites are established on the Mediterranean Sea along the Jordan. Now, this is what 10 of them said. Yeah, how'd you like them grapes? That's their reality. But now they start to talk about the enemies. They start to talk about things that suggest that they couldn't actually go in there. Thankfully, two of them, Caleb and Joshua, uh, don't, don't put the slide up. Just before uh, I, I, I show you what, what, what they said, their contrarian perspective, contra- contrary to the other 10, one of the, one of the most exciting things that I've ever read in the Bible, and there's a lot of exciting things, so it's a big call is at one point in history, Caleb, this guy I'm about to, one of the spies, I'm about to tell you what he said, what his perspective was. One of the things that's written about him, is one of the most exciting things I've ever read in the entire Bible, is God described him as being someone with a different spirit and a different good. What, a, what an incredible compliment. What an incredible thing for God to say about you. You know all those negative people? You know, all those, all those faithless people, you know, all those people who, who want to pull people down, who want to say what can't be done, who want, you know, uh, Caleb's not one of those people. Caleb's someone with a different spirit. He carries a spirit of faith. He carries a spirit of life. He, he gives life to the people around him. He, he understands that words create worlds and he speaks life and, and future into other people's lives. He's about what God can do, not about what we can't do. Caleb's a guy with a different spirit. Would you love God to say that about you? I'd love that. I'd love that. I'd love that to, for God to say that about Elevate Church. Elevate Church is a church with a different spirit. And he doesn't say to put other people down. God's it's not a comparison game. It's just you, us, we. Anyway, so Caleb, guy with a different spirit. Hmm. Caleb interrupted. 
and called for silence before Moses. Moses is the boss, right? It's like, shh, shh. They're, they're giving all the reasons, the, the, the cellulites, the Vegemites, the Marmites. They're all there. We can't, we can't do anything. We can't, you know, we can't, we can't, we can't. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't, we shouldn't. We can't, we can't, we can't. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't, we shouldn't. <laughs> Caleb said, gesticulated, then said, Mm. let's go up and take the land now. We can do it. Ten spies came back talking about giants. Two spies came back talking about grapes. Same situation, different perspective. Ten spies came back talking about problems. Two spies came back reminding the people of promises. Same situation, different perspectives. So you can be carrying grapes on your shoulder, a taste of what's to come. You like these grapes? Mate, plenty more where they came from. And yet despite having them on your shoulder, you're so fixated on the enemy, fixated on your circumstances that you never actually move from slavery into the land God promised. Size up your situation, absolutely. And then size up God in your situation. So the question that I want to ask today is whose report will you believe? Whose report will you believe? Because the report you believe determines the future you experience. Back in the early 90s, uh, God led me to a church just down the road, uh, Riverview Church. And at the time, one of the big uh, international music, uh, Christian music artists was, was a guy named Ron Canoli. Now he's still with us, but uh, he doesn't quite occupy the same um, heavy rotation on my uh, playlist these days. But back then, he was the man. And so uh, I want to take you in my Wayback Machine just briefly uh, for about a minute. Come with me in my Wayback Machine to um, a, a song that actually is stuck in my head. I've got the CD at home. It's stuck in my head. It's a very simple song. The words have stuck in my head. The, the name of the song is the question I just asked you. Whose report will you believe? So, come in the Wayback Machine. You ready? Before I comment on that song 
and the lyrics, which are simple yet powerful. I just want to apologize to all of our black people here this morning for the white men in the front row that were clapping on the one and three. Okay. I'm really sorry about that. Who's report? We have a lot to be sorry about, but that is way, way, way up the top of the list. So we're sorry, I know. It's important for you to know that I noticed. I'm a two and four guy. Black on the inside. The um, whose report shall you believe? Uh, show you a photo. Some of you know the story. I'm going to catch you up if you don't. Uh, this is one of those, you are here. You're here, like now. It's amazing. Now, you're in there. Now, we are. It's amazing. Auditorium. I, I want to lay the pointer, but anyway. Uh, you're here somewhere. In it. Um, this is our church property, 61 Alexander Road. Um, we, uh, thanks to some pioneers in the mid-80s, pioneers who are part of this church in the mid-80s, people with faith, um, they and we now have inherited a legacy where they were able to purchase these two properties. About three months ago, this property here, which is on this side, Kuyong Road, came up for sale. And we, we, we knew it was going to come up for sale. At a point in time, the lady that had been living there was, was uh, elderly, we knew she'd move out at some point, so she has moved out into a, a, a home of some sort. And the, the house came on the market, and uh, we knew that it would be snapped up real quick. If you just drive along Kuyong Road on your way out, every second property, the quarter-acre blocks are all being redeveloped. Five townhouses, six townhouses, three villas, boom, 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 boom. So we knew that if we wanted to buy that piece of land and, 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 and actually have this footprint that we've delineated there, for future expansion that we needed to act and act quickly. Now, the property was, was priced at uh, 950, 950000 The house isn't worth anything, but it's a, a good-sized block, five kilometers from the city. So we knew that we needed to really move quickly. And um, now, when you've got a million bucks in the bank and you don't know what to do with it, and, and, and an opportunity like that comes on the radar... Just walk in with the cash. 100,000, 200,000. It's a no brainer. It's like, it's no problem. A million bucks. I'm not going to miss it. I had it in the bank account. Didn't know what to do with it. Huh. Now I know what to do with it. Problem is, we didn't have a million bucks in the bank. In fact, we had an overdraft in the bank. We didn't have any money, no surplus. Still climbing out of a hole, making good progress, but we weren't there. And so, as a board, we, we, we had a very short window to consider whether we were going to take a step of faith and put an offer on that house, which is still no guarantee we're going to get it, but put an offer on that house or not. Um, and the conversation that we had was a very simple conversation. We're simple people. Good simple. N meaning not complicated, not meaning daft. Um, we're simple folk. Um, we had a very simple conversation. We, we asked ourselves the question, do we want to be the generation? And this is the board asking on behalf of Elevate Church, us, all of us. Do we want to be the generation who didn't have the faith to seize this opportunity? And, and once that's sold, it's sold. And we've got five new neighbors who are going to complain about the noise level on Friday night and Sunday morning. And you're never going to buy it back when they put five townhouses on there. Do we want to, do we want to be the generation who say we can't do it because we don't have the money? 
We, 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 we probably won't get the loan with the bank. We, 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 we'll make an offer, but there's some developers. They'll make an offer too. And, and so we, we can't, so, so, so we won't. Do we want to be, do we want in 10, 20 years time for the, for the board, that's the board then, and whoever's the senior leader then, it's going to be me, by the way. I ain't going anywhere. Um, I'm just getting warmed up just so you know, all right? Come along with me on this ride. It's going to be fantastic. Don't you leave either. But here's the thing, especially you. All right. Yeah, two people leaving as I'm saying, don't leave. Yeah, right. This is not an object lesson. We love you guys. They, they, they were checked out when I said 11.59. They're like, holy smoke. I got, a, I got a roast in the oven. I got, all right. Love you guys. These are the only two people I would lock the door. No, just kidding. Love them. Our Dutch sisters. Love them. See you guys. Uh, podcasters, they were people leaving. And, and God will, he'll take care of it. Um, so we ask the question, do we want to be the generation that, that in 20 years' time, do we want to be the leaders, the church, that, 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 that the, the, the board in 20 years' time and the church in 20 years' time look back when there's five townhouses there, we're bursting at the seams, we're landlocked, we, God's not building more land, and they go, what were those idiots thinking? It was only a million bucks. That, 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 that piece, of, that slice of land's worth, worth nine million bucks now. What a bunch of small thinking, faithless morons. We asked that question. It's a very important question. We don't mind asking that question, but it was a hypothetical. We're calling ourselves faithless morons. We asked, do we want to be those people? Or do we want to be known as the generation that, that stepped out in faith, the generation that built on the legacy that others that have gone before us had already built? And here's the thing. I don't like to, to arm twist people. I believe that God is in the convincing business, okay? I'm facilitating the conversation. Our team are fantastic. We've got a couple of external voices, trusted voices in the room. And, um, and here's the thing. We, we, we made the decision. We stepped out in faith. We found a bank that, that was willing to lend us the money. In fact, we ended up finding two banks that were competing to lend us the money. Yeah, yeah, come on. Uh, we got great rates. We got great favor. The whole thing was complicated. I just about went crazy, um, but it was worth it. And we got through it. And we're now the proud owners of that house. And there's, and there's, and there's tenants in there and they're paying about 20% of the mortgage at the moment. So there's still a huge faith piece that we're having to make up and all that sort of stuff. But, but, but here's the thing. This is a story I haven't told you guys before. I'm going to tell you now. Six years ago, I was presented with a um, position description from Rivervale Church of Christ, which was here then, six years ago. I got sent it uh, by a guy named Bill Addison. Bill Addison works for Churches of Christ head office. He sent me a position description saying that this church, Rivervale Church of Christ, is looking for a new senior leader. And uh, at the time, I was, I was in the hunt for, for that role somewhere. Felt God had, had promised, or knew God had promised me that. Just didn't know where and how. And, 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 and I looked at it, and here's what I did. I sized up the situation. I checked this church out. I, 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 I went and bought coffees and lunches for, for a bunch of church leaders around the city who knew this church. I, I, I didn't spend a lot of time. It, 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 this is before, so I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself the question, am I even going to apply for this, Right? Before I even put the application in, I, I went around and, to church leaders around our city and, as, and has, as I said, had coffee and lunch. I wanted, I wanted to know what, 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 what the potential of this church was from, from men and women of faith, what they saw the potential was. 
The other thing I did is I, is I came here, not in the building. I, I just, I, I drove around. I looked around. I went on the Australian Bureau of Statistics website and looked at all the demographic trends to see what the, the, the 15 kilometer radius of our city is, is, is in, in this area is, is looking at now and what it's going to look like in 10 to 15 years time. I sized up the situation. I saw that, that the demographics are that, 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 that 35% of the people in a five kilometer radius, 35% are in, are in the 18 to 35 year age bracket. That's my sweet spot. Not because I'm in that age bracket. It's been a while. But, but, but I'm, I, 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 you know, I know God uses me to, to speak into that generation. So it's ticking a lot of boxes. But you know one of the boxes it ticked? One of the boxes that, that, that sizing up the situation ticked is that there's churches going, popping up in um, uh, Two Rocks and churches popping up in, in, in Beldivis and churches popping up in Allenbrook. And that's great, these new growth corridors. But what about the gentrified suburbs or gentrifying suburbs? What about the suburbs that are being infilled by the five villas and townhouses, by the high-rise apartments, where actually thousands and thousands of people in that age bracket are moving in five kilometers from the city? The church can't move out. The church needs to be, to, be, to be sinking its roots deeper into those gentrified and gentrifying places. The places where, with all due respect, some of the older people are moving out and younger people are moving in. If the church moves out, who's going to communicate the gospel? People in Rivervale aren't going to drive to Allenbrook on a Sunday morning. It don't work that way. You're going to drive to Vic Park to a coffee shop. This was the promise that God gave me, that this land is a strategic footprint of land. Now, we're not in the, in the, in the land business. We're not in the property business. We're not real estate moguls. We're not Donald Trump. We're none of those things, right? We're a local church that's called to impact a local area. And, and, and if we don't take the land and establish ourselves in the land, we're not going to actually take the land, which is the people mixed metaphors. That's the promise that God gave me six years ago. So with this story, that's the backstory. And so now God can send us, we've crunched the numbers. God can send us 5,000 people and we can actually have a 5,000 strong church on this very footprint of land. We're going to have to do a little bit of remodeling. The D60 renovation, I believe it's called, Jared, the Caterpillar. I don't know. I don't know how to operate those things. All right. But others said, having Caleb interrupted, but others said, we can't attack those people. They're way stronger than we are. They spread scary rumors among the people of Israel. Isn't it so typical? Faithless people. We call them gossips. Spreading rumors. They think that's their job description. You know, here, we, we ban the use of the term the devil's advocate. He don't need an advocate. Certainly not here. He's doing just fine job on his own. We want the Holy Spirit's advocate. You come into a meeting that's run by Elevate, don't say, uh, just like to play devil's advocate. Stop the meeting, get out of the room. That's true, by the way. Uh, we don't want the devil's advocate telling us what Elevate Church should or shouldn't do. We want the Holy Spirit's advocate. What's God saying? What's God's perspective? How big's God in this? What's God called us to? Yes, Caleb? What? So Caleb's humming, and these people, these people are going around having the coffees and the potluck dinners, 
the other 10. Um, just want to know if you're free on Thursday night. Uh, Mabel and I thought we'd pop over. We're going to bring a casserole. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but Caleb's spreading these incredibly, incredibly silly thoughts that maybe God wants us to go into the land he's already promised us. And, uh, well, we're not really going to talk about that. We're just going to enjoy the casserole. But it might come up in conversation. You know, some churches, people meet up during the week. They don't have pasta for dinner. They have the pasta for dinner. He's on the menu. All the things. Can you believe he doesn't wear socks? Oh, boy. Goodness me. I got socks on. They're just secret socks. And what does it matter? He wore a T-shirt. What? What? He should dress more like Ron Cannoli. Well, actually, in the 90s, I did. (laughs) And so one of the things you can be thankful to God for is that we no longer do. They said, we scouted the land from one end to the other. It's a land that swallows people whole. They just come back after 40 days. Nobody got swallowed whole. It's a land that swallows people whole. Everybody, everybody we saw was huge. That's one that people use. Everybody. You always, they say. Alongside them, we felt like grasshoppers. And they looked down on us as if we were grasshoppers. Here's the thing. These people never actually ever, 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 ever in those 40 days scouting the land, never, ever, ever got bad news. But there's a perspective that some people have that turns good news into a bad report. Fear will turn good news into bad. You got people in your life that you no longer ask them how they're going because of the answer they always give you? Hey, so how's it going? Ah, well, and during the week, my back. Yep, me back again. Oh, yeah, the boss, the boss was rude to me again. Okay. Note to self, don't ever ask that person how they're going. People can never congratulate anymore. Man, that's so fantastic. After being out of work for that time, you got a new job. How's a new job going? Well, sorry for congratulating. God's not looking for us to be people that take good news and turn it into a bad report. He's looking for people who are going to take any news, including bad news. And turn it into a good report. A final thought on this. The news is not the report. You follow? The news is the situation. There were some big dudes in the promised land. But the news isn't the report. The news is the situation. The report is our perspective. Big dudes in the land, bigger God that's promised it. You know what? (laughs) Oh, dear. I tell you, just about losing my lunch up here. I said it earlier. It may have sounded a little bit kind of, you know, obvious. It was called the promised land because God had promised it. But you know what? They didn't seem to get it. Or maybe they got it, but God wanted to really drive the point home. Up to that point in history, God had said to them, I'm going to send you, I'm going to deliver you, not just from slavery, but into a land, into a land, I promise you. He said that to them, it's written in the Bible, 170 times, right? Because here's what God does. 
when God speaks to our future, right? When God speaks to our future, he doesn't spend his whole time looking at our current circumstances. He speaks to our future, but he doesn't speak to our future just out of, well, maybe one day. Well, may, no, God doesn't speak to our future. Here's what God does. See, God's not limited like we're limited to a point in time. God actually reaches into the future and he grabs the situation as it will be in the future with his intervention and brings it back into our current situation and says, you know what? When I promised you that land, I promised you with a vision of you already there. I didn't promise it like, well, maybe one day if you win the lottery, if you don't. Get... And, and, and here's these 10 guys. Because here's what happened next. At this point, when the 10 had given the report, focusing on the problems, focusing on the giants, instead of taking the land, those people listened to the 10 and not Caleb and Joshua. Big mistake, because they then wandered around in this in-between phase. Left slavery, haven't entered the promised land for 40 years, right? And that's not the tragic bit. It's tragic. That's not the tragic bit. You know what's tragic? In that 40 years, an entire generation died in the desert. And you know, here's the thing. An entire generation died in the desert, and they didn't have to. Because the people who they listened to never even got bad news. They brought back flipping grapes. And I, I see people, people dying in the desert. Not because of their circumstances. Not even because the enemy, the devil is trying to stop them. But because of the report they chose to believe. And so my question is, whose report will you believe? Here's a final question. Is 11.59 yet? Here's a final question. And the question is, it's about this grace word that we sung about. I said I'd come back to it. So just give me a minute. Listen. Word grace, we, we don't use it much. It's, uh, it's kind of like not an everyday word. It's a bit of a churchy word. I get it. Uh, the backstory on it is this idea that, I touched on this earlier, but that you and I have done things in our lives that God, he's not down with. And those things, we call them sins. It's another churchy word, sins. Things that God's not cool with, things that actually push us away from God, create some separation. And uh, God's up here, right? Like perfect and stuff. And, and we never will be, but, but we tend to kind of do stuff that, that, that separates us from him. And, and, we, and we can never get back to, to God's perfection. Every world religion is about what you can do to get back to God. Christianity is the only world religion that focuses on what God has done to get back to us. And what he did 2,000 years ago is he sent his son Jesus. He sent his son Jesus to die in our place. And there's a big story there. And it would take me to 11.59 to just begin to unpack that. I don't have that sort of time. But what Jesus did when he died in our place is he actually, he actually 
took our place. He actually died on a cross, took our sins on him. Kind of, it's a substitute. He was the substitute. It's literally, the, the the role he played. Instead of us dying and being punished because we did things that God found offensive, Jesus actually died and was punished because we did things that were offensive to God. And all God says is to, to restore the relationship is we have to just turn to him and say, forgive, forgive me of the sins. And that's it. I mean, there's, an, you know, there's a call to continue to follow him. But in terms of forgiveness, it's, it's something that Jesus made possible. And we don't have to try and climb the mountain because you get halfway up and you just, we just fall back down again. Most of you have made a decision to actually ask God for your forgiveness. And I know that because I know most of your stories. It's fantastic. M- myself included. I made that decision when I was 21. I just, um, my life was going away from God and I, I stopped. I turned. I said, God, I need to get right with you. And, and he went, Whoop! he ran to me. I didn't have, oh, you're here already. Wow. Sounds too good to be true. Yeah, but it's not. It's true. Those of you that have never turned around, never made that decision, we're going to give you that opportunity right now. It's the last thing I'm going to do this morning. It's the most important thing I'm going to do this morning. For those of you that have never made that decision to say, God, I want a relationship with you. I want you to forgive me of my sins. What I want you to do right now is just slip your hand up and say, yeah, that's me this morning. And when I see your hand, you can put it down and we're just going to quickly pray. I don't want to miss anybody. If you've never made that decision before, said, you know, God, I want to have that relationship with you. I want you to forgive me of my sins. Just quickly slip your hand up. And when I see your hand, you can put it down. Then we're going to pray.